For our fifth year anniversary, my wife, Stephanie, and I, we had the opportunity to take the trip of a lifetime, and we went on a Mediterranean cruise, and it was it was unbelievable. It was one of our bucket list items, and, and God graciously gave us the opportunity to be able to do it, and one of our port stops was Athens, Greece, and uh, we were super excited. I mean, it was Athens, and I mean, the, the 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 majesty and allure of it was dampened a little bit by the fact that, you know, the garbage unions had been on strike for about two months and there had been riots and stuff. And so there's a bunch of stuff smashed and there's garbage everywhere. But we didn't care because we were in we were in Athens. We were in Greece. And so we took this guided tour of the city. And the apex of the tour was walking up this giant staircase to the Acropolis. And, and there we saw these massive ancient temples and statues of of you know dedicated to greek gods and of greek gods it was it was insane i mean it was so beautiful the marble was so intricate i can only imagine what it was like thousands of years ago when it was a new build and it was modern and so our tour guide after taking us up these you know really long stairs and walking us around the ruins. Um, we had an opportunity to kind of break off and go through things on our own. And as we kind of were at this huddle point, she just goes, oh, hey, yeah. And she points to this little hill below. She's like, before before we go, just wanted, wanted to tell you this one thing. That hill over there, that's Mars Hill, where all the philosophers would gather. And for those of you that are, that are Christian, that's that's the spot where Paul preached the Mars Hill message. And I remember I kind of inched my way over to the edge and, and looked down the side. And, and I looked at Mars Hill. And I was like, that's it? That's the Mars Hill? That's like, that's, that's the spot? I expected more. I'm just going to be honest with you. I really did. I expected way more. See, in Acts 17, Paul meets some philosophers. He meets some men that are spiritual seekers. And he says, only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus provides life and purpose and meaning. Only Jesus is God. Now, every time I've heard the story, it's like a church and, and, and like the B3 is wailing in the background and the crowd is like, ah, ah, and everyone's running around and, and they're, you know, throwing hankies in the air and, and somebody's running, doing laps and everyone's like, yeah, Jesus is God. And, and it's like, it's this incredible environment. But, but the apostle Paul wasn't in an environment like that. There was no statues, no idols, no gleaming art at all, only Jesus. And with the majesty and artistic beauty of Asian Greece gleaming behind him, he said only Jesus can satisfy, give hope, and give life. Look, everything that glitters and shines in our world isn't all that it claims to be. There are so many things that loom large, so many things that are majestic and nice, but it doesn't mean they are good or they are good for you. Don't buy into the hype of the latest trends or fads in Christianity and become fanboys and fangirls of whoever's retouched Instapics are getting the most likes in the Christian church space because not everything that's good is able to help you. My name's Adam Shaw, and this is The Restorationist. Well, hey, everybody, thank you so very much for giving me your time today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you a thousand times. Thank you 
for reaching out, for screenshotting the episode titles and, and tagging me in your social media posts. To those that have texted and emailed and called to let me know you're sending this to friends and family. Um, that That's amazing. To ministers that have said, I'm sending this to other pastors in my district, thank you so much. The, we've grown tremendously over the past three, uh, three and a half weeks or so that the podcast has been live. And it's not because of me. It's because of you. It's because of listeners that are engaged in the content. The reason why I'm saying all of this is because I believe there is a need for content like this. And, and so all of my fellow leaders and pastors that are out there, please, please, please get a mic on Amazon. They're cheap. Plug it into the side of your laptop and start talking because we need your voice. Throw your hat into the ring. And I want to let you know that when you do... I'm going to be there to support you in any way possible. Reach out if you have any questions or anything. Anyway, back back to back to the episode, back to the content. Today's uh, the third episode on leadership and personal growth. And today we're going to be exploring the foundations of healthy leadership. And this provokes the question, what makes a healthy leader? What, what makes a leader that is strong, that has sustainable long-term? Because, I mean, we've all seen people crash and burn. We've all seen people burn out. We've all seen, you know, stars that, you know, shine bright and then fade quickly. What makes a healthy leader? Because I want to be around like 20 years from now. I want to be married, loving the Lord, loving my family. I want them to love me. I want to be serving in the kingdom of God. I, I want to be healthy. I want to be saved and be more effective two decades from now than I am right now in this moment. So what makes a healthy leader? What should the base or the foundation of my leadership be? I mean, I'm sure we all can agree that we don't need dysfunctional or sick leaders in the church. We don't need aspiring leaders that have massive gaps in their integrity that they've covered up through talent and slick speech. We all can agree that we need healthy leaders in the church. And so this is the first of three episodes focused in on the idea of the foundations of healthy leadership. And we're going to be exploring a few components over the next few episodes. We're going to be talking about your personal spirituality, your sense of clarity for your mission and vision, and how you use your time and productivity, as well as your emotional health and intelligence. And since we're talking about being an apostolic leader, being a spirit-empowered leader, being a leader that embodies the heart, the values, the theology of the first century church in the 21st century. Since we're talking about that kind of leadership, I can't imagine why any leader interested in progressing their influence and expanding their reach and increasing their effectiveness would make the foundation of their leadership and their life anything other than Jesus. So this brings us back to where we began. So I'm, I'm looking down on Mars Hill and 2,000 plus years ago, Paul was standing on Mars Hill. He's in like the Times Square of the ancient world's religion. Well, he's not in the, he's like three blocks away in front of a subway. And behind him is the Times Square of the ancient world religions. And it's breathtaking. It's visually stunning. 
And he has made his way through the crowd. And he steps up in front of the philosophers and men. And here's what he says to them in Acts 17. He said, I notice that you are very religious in every way. And for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing, he's the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs. For he has no needs. In this story, the Apostle Paul makes two important statements about God that speak to the foundation of our life and leadership. Obviously, the first thing we're going to be talking about today is your spirituality. Because in order to be a spiritual leader, you must be spiritual. And in this story, Paul makes two important statements about God. And the first one he has just made. The first one is this. Jesus doesn't need anything from you. Think about this for a second. This isn't like a mean statement I'm trying to say. It just is reality. Jesus doesn't need a thing from you. And that's okay. That's actually very comforting because nearly every other thing or person in your life depends on you for, your exist- for its existence and its value. Nearly every other thing or every other person that is in your sphere of influence depends on you for its existence or its increasing value. And and here's the deal. People and systems and organizations, they take tremendous amounts of work because things break. Systems break down over time, if not tended. Relationships with other humans take work. This is especially true when you are a leader. As a leader or as an influencer, everything else and everyone else, I should say, around you is wanting to take something from you. That's not bad. It's just the way it is. People, they want your time. They want your emotional energy. They want guidance. They want teaching. They want wisdom. They've got questions. All other things, all other relationships require a loss from you in order to sustain their existence, all but Jesus. Jesus doesn't have need of anything at all. He doesn't need squat from you. He gives all things life. He is the all-sufficient one. And since he is the only self-sufficient one in the whole earth, only he is strong enough to serve as the foundation of your life, your leadership, and your sustainable influence. And the second thing that we learn from Paul's story is found in the next phrase of verse 25, where Paul says, He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. His purpose was for the nations to seek after him, or seek after God, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, or other translations say, have our being. So number one, God doesn't need anything from me 
But number two, I need everything from God. Everything that I need, I derive somehow from Jesus. This is a fundamental truth at the macro and micro levels of life. At the macro level, the Bible is full of examples where God says that he is the force managing the universe and the reason why the universe has not pulled itself apart and continues to exist because he gives life to all things. He's the one providing the order, the chaos. He is managing uh, all of the opposing laws and forces of nature to keep this planet from spinning off into a space where no life could exist. He's the one that is holding it all together. And that's at the macro level. And that's really cool. But at the micro level, it becomes so much more real because I understand I can't make anything out of my life outside of the love, the power, and the grace of Jesus. All I have and all I'll ever be is because of the life and strength that God gives me. In Him we live, we move, and we find our being. This means I receive life from Jesus. I move through life through the power and by the power of Jesus, and I continue to have existence and meaning and purpose, life itself, because of Jesus. So I have been baptized into Christ. I've been raised to life through the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And I continue to have life in life because of the power of Jesus. This is why I can't imagine why any leader interested in progressing their life and influence would make the foundation of their life and leadership anything other than Jesus Christ and his power. We'll talk about clarity later, but... You really need to know who you're supposed to be. And if you know who you're supposed to be, you know what foundation you're supposed to build who you're supposed to be upon. And God has called us to lead the church. He has called us to reach people with the message that contains his power. And so all growth and progression in our life must inherently come back to the power and strength we draw from his spirit. That anything else will cause your life to come up empty in some way. Now we're going to talk about all sorts of practical tools as we go forward. We're going to be talking about all sorts of things that we can learn from all sorts of people in many different places. But since we live in a spiritual world, And since the kingdom that Jesus has called us to build is a spiritual kingdom that's from his world, the foundation of our leadership must be our personal spiritual health. And spiritual health doesn't just come because you want it. Spiritual health and anointing and empowerment from Jesus doesn't just come because you wish it or you will it into being. You've got to work it. We talked about this in the previous episode. So this is why as a leader, if you want Jesus to be your foundation, you want to be spiritually healthy, you need to build systems and processes into your life that produce that reality. You need to have systems and processes that are hardwired into your habits that enhance your spiritual health. Let me make my case for you here. I I heard a really interesting statistic um, the other day in another podcast on leadership and, and church growth, and it said this. 4% of churches are growing in North America, and 96% are stagnant or declining. I don't know if that's true of all churches, but it's, it's indicative of the larger swath of Christianity. 
And the difference between the, 90 per, the 96% who are stagnant and the 4% who are growing is not that the growing churches are doing something different. They are just doing it over and over and over and over again with excellence and with passion. That blew my mind. I thought they were going to be like 96% of churches that are stagnant in North America that are in decline. It's because they're not doing certain things. And the 4% have this brand new model, these brand new processes that, you know, no one's ever seen or thought of before. That's not the case at all. The only difference between those that are wildly successful and those that were stagnant was the fact that the 4% who were wildly successful were remarkably consistent and passionate in their consistency. And I believe that reveals a truth that whether it's a growing church or more importantly, the continued sustainable foundation of all that you do as a leader, progression rests on a single principle. It's all about diligence and discipline to the right systems. You know, as the old adage that practice makes perfect, practice does not make perfect. Because you can do the wrong things over and over again. And you should not be surprised when you do the wrong things over and over again if you end up with a result that you don't want. It's the right practices over and over and over again that create massive momentum. And if you want to be an effective spiritual leader that grows a spiritual kingdom, that builds momentum over time, you must lean in hard into the systems and disciplines that produce spiritual health in your life. Spiritual health is the first and most important thing in your life as a spirit-filled apostolic leader. You have to create and find the right systems that work for you in your life. So there are practices that are universal, but it doesn't mean that there is a universal way in which to enact them. You've got to find the right systems for you. You have to experiment, you have to assess, and then you have to adjust. But here's the deal. Once you find what works, you stick with it. Now, to all of my creative, you know, less structured friends that are maybe listening to this podcast, you're like, oh, that's not me. I'm, I need to be creative and go with the flow. And I get that. I understand that. But listen, discipline and systems don't restrict creativity. They don't restrict flow. They enhance it. Because rather than being constantly scattered and on empty because you have no sustainable rhythm in your life, you put yourself in a place where you can continually grow and be creative, and most of all, be spiritual. So health and momentum is gained by doing the right things over and over and over and over again. But simply checking things off a list is not good enough. You need to hit your systems with all of the passion and strength that you can muster. One of the things that was crazy uh, about the 4% of the churches that grow and the 96% who don't is that the 4% They did the same things over and over again, but every time they did it, they honestly believed as a team this was the best it's ever been. 
So they didn't walk into a series or walk into an outreach program going like, let's just kind of like, it's been busy. Let's just roll this. They're like, no, this is the best ever. This is the best card, the best sermon, the best Sunday. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be the best thing that we've ever done in our history ever. That will just destroy anything that we've ever done in our past as far as how good it looks. That's how they were pumped. It's about consistency and passion. You need to build the right systems into your life that work for you, and then you work that system with all of the passion and strength that you can muster. This is critical. You have to be passionate and pour yourself into your spiritual disciplines with all of your heart and make the moments matter. So now let's talk about the systems that you have to have in your life that make you spiritually healthy and positioned for growth. I'm going to be pretty open about how I pursue these things. Um, throughout, uh, when I, especially when I talk about spiritual disciplines, but even when I talk about clarity and time management, uh, not to puff myself up, but just to give you some real world examples. There are several disciplines that make up the life of a healthy, sustainable leader. And let's talk about those practices. You need to systemize or systematize every one of these. The first one, it's pretty obvious. It's prayer. You need to prioritize and discipline prayer. Now, there may be many of you that are saying, oh, this is super cliche. I mean, I've heard this before. And I hope hope you have heard this before, that you're right. It's it's pretty standard. It's, It's where we always start from. But I can attest to you as someone that has a prayer life that did not have a great one in times past, this is anything but cliche. That if you can have all of the other things, but if you don't have a reliable, sustainable, continual, disciplined connection to the Holy Ghost, man, it's, it's a mess. See, because prayer is where you take your life to God. It's where you take your needs and your heart to God and, and you talk to Him about it. It's where you're refreshed and renewed and refocused and you receive power to stay on mission. And as leaders, especially as our influence grows, we have to prioritize and protect our prayer. If for no other reason that as your leadership and influence grows, the circle of people where you can be just transparent with is going to shrink. No, I know that that kind of flies into our hashtag authentic living, um, uh, you know, life, all the postmodern sensibilities of just, just be the realest you ever. But, but honestly, like there are just some things that you're not going to be able to say simply because you're in a room full of people that you are leading and every word you say has weight to it, more weight than it did five years ago. So you could meander and muse and vent and rage and question five years ago, but now that when you're in the room, you're the one leading the room, when you meander and vent and rage and question, all of a sudden you shake the faith of those that follow you. The amount of people that you can be transparent with is going to shrink. That's just life. So I believe it's a good practice for all leaders, in fact, all Christians, to keep the rants and the venting off of social media and casual conversa- a conversation and start 
realizing that the best place for our lament and our brokenness and our frustrations and our agony and our hurt, the best place is a conversation with God in prayer. So how long should you pray? When should you pray? That's up to you. It's up to you, but it can't be random. It has to be disciplined, and it has to be focused. It has to be passionate. For me, it's really early in the morning. I think I referred to this in an earlier podcast. It's really early in the morning because if I don't wake up really early in the morning, it's not going to happen. The bottom line is you, you got to find what works for you. So if you prayer journal, you make notes, you listen to music, you do it in the middle of the night, you do it in the morning, you do it in the afternoon, how long, when, up to you. It can't be random, it must be disciplined, it must be focused, and it needs to be passionate. The second uh, discipline that needs to be in the life of a leader that continues and protects your leadership and ministry sustainably into the future is fasting. Fasting. Now, fasting is denying the flesh to hear from God. Fasting is denying the flesh to hear from God. It's super simple, though really super hard. Fasting is not going on a hunger strike for God. We're not ascetics. We're not sadists. We don't fast to oblige God and be like, God, I'm not going to eat so that you feel really guilty and do what I want. That's not how fasting works. We don't fast to oblige or guilt trip God. We fasted of humility and total dependence on God. We fast because we're looking to him and we're saying, God, if I deny everything else in my life that I feel like I need to survive, I most of all need you. I am claiming by abstaining from food that there is no sustenance, there is no strength that I could ever find or discover on planet earth that could sustain and intervene and help me like you do. In, the, in his incredible book on spiritual disciplines, Dr. Robin Johnston says this. I recommend you get the book. You can get it at Pentecostal Publishing House. And it says, perhaps the most frequent reason biblical people fasted was to demonstrate the urgency of their prayers. Prayer begins in the mind and the heart of a person, but at some point a person must give voice to that prayer. Sometimes the mind and the mouth seem inadequate to express the deep passion of prayer. So it is not unusual to see people cry when they pray. Fasting is another way to involve the whole person in prayer. In other words, it is a means to ratchet up the intensity. So we fast because we're ratcheting up the intensity of our prayer. We fast because we are, uh, uh, we are proclaiming that we are humbled before God and that we are inherently and completely dependent upon Him for everything. Fasting is also about denying the flesh and focusing on the Holy Spirit. It is the negative uh, pulling away from one thing and the positive clinging onto something else. So we fast to crucify our sinful desires to practice self-control. We fast to consecrate ourselves to God so we can hear His voice and get direction and receive empowerment for life and for service. And since fasting does all of these things, fasting must be systematized and disciplined in our life like prayer. I believe it'd be really good if you had a system of fasting in your life where you fasted weekly, maybe monthly, quarterly, and annually an extended fast. So you fast uh, one day a week 
and either monthly, quarterly, or annually, you did an extended fast. See, in North America, we practice these extremes. And while there are times for long extended fasts, and there are loads of examples in scriptures where people went on long fast to break through spiritual barriers and, and hear from the Lord, it's the continual discipline over time that makes the greatest difference. It's the continual discipline over time that produces the greatest momentum and the greatest results. And so I love it if you go on a big yearly fast. I'm thankful that you did that long Daniel's fast for a month or two. But it's about more than just that single event. It's about building a lifestyle, hardwiring it into your schedule and saying, I will practice and it will never get easy. If you have a fast day or, you know, a day or two in a month, it's still going to be hard because you're always going to get hungry. Trust me, I'm a fat guy. I hate fast day, but you're always going to get hungry. And thus having systemic fasts in your life will keep that humility and dependence and heart cry of, I need you, Jesus, in your life as a leader. And that's so important. The third discipline that you need to have in your life is you need to read the word. Prayer and fasting, not anchored in the word, will turn you into a space cadet. It will. People that pray and fast, you feel all sorts of things. And the only way you know whether those are your thoughts or God's thoughts, is if your mind is anchored in the Word. Any feeling or impression that is absent of the foundation of the Bible or requires you to mutilate the context of the Bible in order to make it true is turning yourself into God, and you're not. In fact, the whole purpose of prayer and fasting is to bring you closer to God to hear what God actually has to say, not so that you can feel with greater emotional intensity feelings and sensations and thoughts and ideas that are completely disconnected from the world that he is trying to build in the church. So in order to prevent this, we need to bring the Bible front and center into our lives, and we need to read it and study it. And again, like with prayer and with fasting, it needs to be systemic. Whether you read the Bible in a year or not matters very little to me. What matters is that you read it regularly, and you read it in a way that completely engages your mind and your heart. Uh, what I like to do is I like parking in a single book of the Bible with a translation and studying the mess out of it before I, I move on to another book and another translation. So uh, the New King James is my typical base for uh, devotional reading and, and, and study and preaching and stuff, but uh, recently I read the book of Revelation in the NASB. And then I moved to reading the Psalms in the KJV. And what I tend to do is I will read large portions of a book at a time with like a, a pen and highlighter in my hand. And so I'll read, you know, several large blocks of scripture, multiple chapters, noting particular components, whether it's a chunk of verses, a specific verse or a specific chapter, and I'll highlight and underline keywords um, that jump out to me. And I do this because chapters and verses are later additions to the format of Scripture 
that were not part of the original, with the exception of maybe the Psalms. The Apostle Paul didn't write X amount of chapters of Romans. He just wrote Romans. And then later on, to aid in memorization, we added chapters and verses. So when I read the scripture, I try to read everything I can in context, and then I go back to the things that jump out at me, and I read them again, and I journal about them, and I'll read them in varying translations to get a really good handle, and sometimes I'll consult um, my resources that I have, whether they be language or commentary or cultural resources, and uh, that's how I study the Bible. Now, this is how I enjoy studying the Bible, and this is how I can sustainably do it over time because it keeps me excited and engaged. Now, it takes me longer than a year, typically, to read from cover to cover, but it really seems to work for me. And uh, one of the things I did a little while ago, and those of you that, you know, uh, you, you followed me on Instagram before this, you, you've seen the many pictures. One of the things that I did to, in reading the Bible is I switched to analog a few years ago, completely changed my devotional life. Um, in fact, there are lots of studies out there that talk about how your frontal lobe is more engaged when you read a physical book as opposed to an ebook. You don't remember as much, you don't think as critically, etc. when you read off of a screen. So here's how it started for me. My, my wife got sick and she was diagnosed with cancer and that was unbelievably devastating. And so I decided that... I needed to prioritize and invest in the word in our family that I had done and built lots of things in my life, but I wasn't as anchored in God's word the way I needed to. And so I wanted to prioritize and invest that. And so I, what I wanted was a legacy Bible that I could study and preach from and mark up and annotate that I would then give to my son. It's amazing how it if you've ever had a family member go through something like this, or you've gone through it yourself, how a diagnosis like cancer can really bring eternity into view. And just like, this is real. We're in our early 30s, but, you know, death will visit us all. And you think about things like legacy and, you know, super early. So I wanted that. I wanted... Because life seems so chaotic and short, I wanted to have something that I could give to my son at some point when I pass that would anchor him in Jesus that would come from dad. So I, I did some research on what the best Bibles were, and I got a Schuyler Quintal New King James. And I thought I was doing this so I could read the Bible a little bit more and create family legacy, and I'd have notes and stuff for my sermons that would be in it. But it ended up changing my devotional life entirely. The quality of the construction, the opacity of the paper, clarity of the font, it allowed me to do something that I had never been able to do with the Bible before, and that is read the Bible for the same length of time I would read any other book. And little did I know that it would overtake my life. And so I spent an entire year, I may have read one other book or two other books cover to cover, but I read the Bible like crazy. And then this collecting analog, old school, like actual paper Bibles turned into a thing. So I have a bunch of different translations now, and I know it's cheap and free to use your phone, but I wanted to prioritize the word in my life. So I invested in them. And for those of you that do something similar, uh, I have pens and highlighters I use to, to make notes to 
you know, preserve, you know, they got archival ink and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I study from that and I read from that every day. Now, if you Google those Bibles, you may pinch up your face and you'd be like, whoa, you're spending 150 bucks on a Bible. I mean, that's crazy expensive. My question would be, do you have an Apple Watch? Or do you have uh, a new phone? I don't have either of those, but I have some really nice Bibles. Now, I'm not saying you're bad for buying your iPhone. I'm just saying this is something I prioritized in my life and I had to invest in, and it was the cost of investment. It was the cost of investment that refocused my mind and helped me prioritize this in my life. Now, I am now a huge fan of a paper Bible, and I travel with one all of the time because it's without distractions. Now, my wife's different than me. She loves the YouVersion app. My son uses the audio version of uh, the New Living Translation, and he's only five years old. But my man is cranking out the bread program like a champ. He has got it down in his life, and uh, he reads from it every day or hears someone read it to him every day. And that's what works. That's what works for us. So I'm an analog Bible. My wife's a digital Bible. My son's audio Bible. But it's whatever you can schedule and systematize in your life that will produce habits of faithfulness and engagement with the Word. The big thing is that you read the Bible. The big thing is that you read the Bible and you make it a regular part of your life. Because it's so important that above all else, you be spiritually healthy. We have this saying in our church, we've been saying it since the beginning of the year, and it's that the Holy Ghost changes everything. And I love this statement. I'm so motivated by it because it's so true that being connected to the Spirit of God as a leader changes everything in your life. As a young adult, as a seasoned veteran uh, in work for the kingdom, or as somebody who is just starting out and leading and influencing others, the Spirit and presence of God changes everything. Now, this is not all that you need to have. Becoming a healthy leader includes prayer and fasting and reading the Bible, but it requires more from you as well. Prayer and fasting, spiritual, you know, reading the word, spiritual disciplines, these aren't the basics of leadership. They are the basics of being a disciple of Jesus. But if we're going to be a healthy leader, there's something else that we have to add. But I got a slight problem. It's probably because I'm a newbie at this podcast game. I'm out of time. So here's what I'm going to do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to stop this podcast. Now I'm going to upload it. And then I'm going to hit record and record another one. So if you're listening to this one right now, there's another episode right behind it called Creating Clarity. Because once we're spiritually healthy, the next thing that we have to have in our life is radical clarity. The world is fuzzy, hazy, complicated, and there's so many options. But if we're going to be effective, not only must we be spiritual, but we must have clarity of purpose in our lives. And I'm going to tell you how to create that in the very next episode. But till we get there, listen, thank you so much for the prayers, the love, the support. I want to connect with you on social media about this program, about the show. So if you have any questions, constructive criticism, I'd love to hear it. If there's anything, any feedback form, anything you want me to cover, my Twitter and Instagram handle is exactly the same, at Adam M. Shaw. That's A-D-A-M-M-S-H-A-W. I believe together we can grow an apostolic church that it perfectly embodies the values, the truth, the heart, 
that that first century church had. I love you. I'm praying for you. I appreciate you. And until next time, which is going to be in a couple of minutes, God bless. You have a great day. Thanks for listening.